I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you're listening to Two Two Average Girls. Girls. Happy Tag Tuesday. How are you? Aloha. Oh, aloha from the Garden Island. Yes, we are here together (laughs) again. I kind of don't come to the island without Denise now. (laughs) Which is what exactly (laughs) I am all about. Was that part of your devious plan? Like I said, when she, we first were friends, she did not live here (laughs) part time. And I still loved her. But now that she lives here and has this house, I'm never breaking up with her. I see. I, I'm glad I, to know. You can't shake me, even if you try. <laughs> you can't shake There's me. There's no way. I'm not going anywhere. I also need to mention that this is going to be uh, airing later than the actual time. We usually right. record a few weeks right. in advance or whatever, whenever we're together. Spoiler alert if anybody thinks it's live. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine if we did a live <laughs> podcast, how, what that would look like? Sound like? be like the cancellation button would come out immediately <laughs> and get pressed um but i need to wish denise a happy birthday oh, thank you we celebrated her birthday while she was here this is the second or third year in a third row third year in a row i've been in the garden island for my birthday that's my choice that is your place birthday wish that's my birthday wish well, i love it here happy birthday thank you yeah. i love it here so much that Literally, I feel like every time I come back here and I keep telling everybody, don't come here, but except for me, (laughs) (laughs) because it's so awesome. But I just feel like it it's kind of wraps me up and just makes me feel good here. My mother-in-law had the best statement when because she comes here often too, Mm -hmm. easily once a year, if if not more. And she stays for extended periods of time. And we love it. She loves it here. she said when you get off the plane the air just it it envelops you yes like a big hug and i'm like that's i've never forgotten that because it's absolutely true the air is thick here because you know the humidity we're on an island and everything but it it's it's a wonderful thickness i love the thick air except for my hair oh no one's hair does well here this is the first time i've had my hair cut short And really blonde on this island. Mm. And let's just say, not a good combo. Well, you I look like Nick Nolte <laughs> in his, like, you know. His that, mugshot? His mugshot when he was, like, drunk and crazy. I put my hair out of my pony. It is like Bozo the Clown. It goes crazy. You're getting arrested because people <clears throat> think you're doing crack. It's something it's something to behold. I can't get it under control. I, I start out, I'll straighten it, and then I go to shop and I go you oh know. the minute you step outside of the air conditioning forget it forget it's it. crazy yeah it's crazy but this is a good segue about the love of our island and I say our <laughs> island because I'm you know I'm taking it over now um because we have a great guest with us today our guest today lives here on the island we were introduced to her originally as Sarah Pineapple that's Which, not really her name. But I'm still going to call her that all the time because it is the cutest thing and she is the cutest thing. <laughs> Joining us today is Sarah Turner. Hi, Sarah. Hello. We're so glad to have you on our podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. So you got the nickname Sarah Pineapple through a mutual friend of ours, Colleen. <laughs> What's up, Colleen? Um, tell us why you would be given that nickname. So I work on a pineapple farm on Kauai. It's a Sugarloaf pineapple farm, which is a very different variety of pineapple. It's a lot sweeter, lower acid, and it's almost creamy in flavor, but it has like a special, it's really well known for how special it is because it has such a different flavor. And Mm -hmm. I've worked on this farm for three years and we have 13 acres of pineapple and 250,000 pineapple plants. Oh, wait, let's go back to the, what's it called? What kind of pineapple is it? It's sugarloaf pineapple. A sugarloaf. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sugarloaf. I have tasted it. It is amazing. I don't think people understand how many varieties of pineapple Mm -hmm. there actually are. And the most people only have one variety of pineapple, which is what's grown by Dole and Del Monte, which is smooth cayenne. But there's so many different varieties, but none of them are really grown on a large scale for different reasons. And sugarloaf pineapple is probably one of the best varieties that 
everyone can agree on is the best variety of pineapple they've ever had. Let's start with how you got here to Kauai because you're not native to the island. What brought you here originally? Well, I was on the Big Island a long time ago, seven years ago. I went out to the Big Island right as I was in college and I went out there to farm on a tropical fruit farm that had 50 different varieties of fruit Mm. and I fell in love with the Big Island and the land and I kept I got so excited about tropical fruit because we had 50 different varieties. It was every day was just learning about all the different varieties of fruit, fruits I've never heard of. And I got so passionate about all these different fruits that I kind of set my, like it inspired me to travel and travel just for the purpose of discovering new fruits. Mm -hmm. And I- And farming? And farming, yeah. So when you when you go to the Big Island and you're there, did you go to school before you got there for something that is in this arena? Yeah, I've always been interested in food systems. And so, well, through high school, I started to get very interested in food systems. So I went to college and I went in with the major of biological and agricultural engineering. Wow. And from the first year, I knew that this was my first summer that I had to myself where my parents weren't deciding what I was doing and I took a leap of faith and I booked a plane ticket I told them I was going I didn't ask (laughs) them whether I was going and I got on the plane and I showed up I found this farm online I sent them a message asked them if I could come and stay for work trade to work in order for a place to live and I got an answer didn't hear from them for about a month or two months before I left and I arrived and I'm messaging this woman that's supposed to pick me up from the airport. Oh my gosh. And she's, you know, like seven hours late. I'm just sitting there on the side of the curb. And she picks, finally picks me up and we're starting to head off to the farm. And she was a very eccentric woman. And it just arriving at that place, I never felt more at home in my entire life. It was just that deep feeling of this is where I belong. And like you said, the land just like hugging you. It was yeah. just that full kind of surrender into just like the land is here to support me. And so when I got there, it was just every day was every different fruit tree was learning about all the different fruits that we had. And, you know, it was just I became obsessed with knowing every single tree and what everything I could about it. And there's two people that were walking me around, showing me everything each day and I did try white pineapple for the first time there and so I knew what it was and I knew how amazing it was because it's something that you taste and you never forget it just it's always in the back of your mind and Mm -hmm. that kind of spurred my passion for farming and I went into a major biological and agricultural engineering it was all farmers who were trying to get out of farming and moving into more of a office environmental engineering Mm -hmm. job and going into a engineering degree trying to become a farmer (laughs) which is completely unnecessary but I went back to school after I spent time on the Big Island and how long were you there three months three months for the whole Mm -hmm. summer the whole summer that's exciting did you go back and finish your degree I did oh wow yeah so it was very much one of those things when I was in Big Island I didn't want to leave and it was kind of like do I go back and finish this degree and mm-hmm. I'm around a bunch of people who don't have degrees sure. and they're doing great and they're yeah. have like living these amazing lives the life that I would want to live and then I have this option do I go back and do I finish this thing that I'm really not looking to like I didn't want to work in an office job I didn't want to do uh, like be on a computer working on AutoCAD all day long mm-hmm. but I just had this experience while I was on the Big Island that gave me just this clear message that I meant to go back and I meant to finish it for some greater purpose. And it became extremely clear that that's what I needed to do. I bet your parents were relieved that you wanted to come back. They did not even know that I was wavering. (laughs) (laughs) They do now. Yeah. (laughs) Once they found out that you were doing the the farm situation Mm -hmm. on Big Island, were they supportive of that or were they like, come on, Sarah, come back? They were, my mom was terrified. um, Well, yeah. Because she didn't want me to go into the unknown, but she realized that I was making my own decision and that if she wanted to be part of it, she would have to support me. So she gave her full support but also with you know the fear of not not knowing what I was doing or where I was going and I yeah I arrived and I didn't have phone service I was out 
off-grid there's no cell reception there's no wi-fi so i'm like 30 minutes from the biggest town which is a small town and i'm out in the jungle i have nothing i don't have a car and so you're at the mercy of these people that you've taken this leap of faith to that you don't know you've messaged them by email yeah and there's other it was like i was at the mercy of all of them but no i was like in a such a vulnerable position because no one was like coddling me and helping me it was kind of like you're off on your own you're here it's like what do i eat i don't know this land i don't know what's edible you know my first day i don't have any food and no one's there to feed me at night and so okay so explain what the situation was then because we have a mutual friend Bryn Watkins mm-hmm. who did this exact thing yeah. but it was when you live on the farm they give you a place to sleep but they also help feed you yeah some feed you some don't and what some, was your situation mine was they told me they were going to feed me but they didn't so they didn't say hey you must be hungry no there was no communal dinner there, at the end of the day kind no of thing? everyone who was staying there who was volunteering was on a camping trip so i arrive and oh. no one's no one's there to even tell me how anything works i just kind of got dropped off and which is funny because it kind of aligned with exactly what I wanted. I, when I did this trip, it was kind of like to get completely out of my comfort zone and to just like completely scare myself, like put myself in a situation where I have to figure it out. And so it kind of was like handed to me. And um, <laughs> all I knew was that you hitchhike, you hitchhike to town. That's how you're going to get around. And so the first day I'm kind of trying to figure it out. I have someone draw me a map like on how to get to town on a piece of paper because there's no like Google Maps. Like I don't even know where to go stand. So I get there and I get a little picture drawn. I'm It's really hard to understand. And I walk to the stop sign and I put my thumb out. And from there, it was just like the best experience of my life. Just really? kind of letting go and, you know, just trust trusting people trust that people are there to help you yeah and they are it's like once you give out that let that trust be known it's like you're only going to attract trusting people and so every situation I had was the most beautiful unfolding situation where the Mm. most amazing experiences met the most amazing incredible people and yeah it transformed my life and it was like this community that I never experienced before the kind of community that I was around was so different than that from North Carolina so Mm -hmm. I felt just completely um, surrounded by like-minded people people that I never met but were so much like me and so it was so hard to make that decision to go back because I thought oh I can stay like there's nothing you know there's nothing really bringing me back except school but I made that decision that that was for my greater good and I went back to college Mm -hmm. and from there on out I was traveling through my summers I took eight months off and I traveled to I think six countries by myself wow you really got a a taste for talk about outside your comfort and freedom for me was being away from school so school was my obligation and then freedom was working three jobs in college and saving up every penny I could to afford to travel mm-hmm. around the world. And so. So the farm that you worked on, on Big Island, it was an unpaid in experience. Totally, yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So you go back to school. Then are your travels then sort of centered around tropical fruit farming? Exactly, yeah. So my first place I left after that was I went to New Zealand. Mm. And I thought it was more tropical than it was. I was on mm. the northern island in a pretty northern part, but. Yeah, I stayed on a farm out there. I moved around a little bit throughout New Zealand. And then I went to Australia and I studied abroad there. It was a way to get away without, you know, completely taking off school. And so I spent four months in Australia. And a lot of that was focused around like scouting out fruit, fruit farms, and just checking everything out there. Heading up to north, like to the most tropical spots and just going to different tropical fruit farms that were up there. And then I went through Southeast Asia. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> that must have, I mean, talk about outside your comfort zone. Totally. That's like nothing we can imagine, those of us who yeah. haven't been there. I don't know how to get, you know, I just, I knew absolutely nothing. And, and for me, I am a planner. So to not know anything, I don't know why <laughs> I did it like that. <laughs> but it was, it was cool. It was learning, like just had to really rely on other people and ask them, like, what do I do now? Like I'm in this huge city. There's, you know, it's just buzzing with cars and motorbikes and then trying to figure out like what's the next step and I slowly started taking buses up from South Vietnam to the north and I spent a month 
getting on bus after bus heading from South to North Vietnam. You didn't speak or understand, read any Vietnamese. No. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we're in our regular lives. We're constantly being, you know, you're listening to the news. You're listening to all the bad things happening in the world. And it makes it hard to trust that good things can happen. Mm -hmm. And when you truly, I think, kind of sink in and you believe that, like, I'm supported, I'm guided, that good things are going to happen to me, it's once you kind of surrender into that, you totally attract it and not in every situation. And there's always that lingering fear that what if I, you know, this person, you have someone pick you up on the side of the road and they don't look that like kind or, you know, you, you have that vibe, you have that fear, but you know, and that's probably when things turn badly and you do have to have discernment. So I yeah. had very strong discernment. I wouldn't get in a car with someone that didn't look safe. I tell them, no, I'm sorry. I don't want to get in the car with you. I'm going to wait for the next car. And that was hard to do. That was like learning how to speak up for yourself. <laughs> but someone having a beer in the console, you know, you're not going to. Have you, you have you done that? Have you had that situation where totally. you're like, I don't feel right about this. Yeah. and I'm just not going to go for it. Totally. I say I don't feel comfortable. Good. And let the next car come up. Yeah. And even living here, the first year I lived here, I was hitchhiking mm-hmm. everywhere. And it was more of the excitement, the love of hitchhiking, because it was such a special way to connect with people. And I think when people give you a ride, like it's their act of service. It so is. they're they're so grateful to give that service to you. And mm-hmm. it's just like being able to receive that is so special. And you're in their personal, intimate space. I mean, a car, people yeah. live in their cars half the time. Mm-hmm. Around here, too, there's a lot of traffic. Yeah. Is hitchhiking as common in other places of the world as it is here in Hawaii? Not necessarily. Hawaii has been the most hitchhiking I've ever seen. When I was in New Zealand, there was a little bit more. Um, yeah, it's not, you don't see it quite as often as you do here. There's probably better public service. Definitely better public transportation. Yeah. Where do you get that sense of, of adventure? Where did you find it? And you, you talk about it saying that it was kind of calling you. Can you explain to us what that feels like or what that is for you? Yeah, I think I was at a point in my life where I felt so small. It was like I wanted to explode, but I couldn't. I just didn't know how to express myself in a way. I didn't know how to it's like I had all these dreams, but nothing was coming of it. And they're all in my head. And I had a hard time speaking them aloud and talking about them to people. So it was just all bottled up within me. And I wanted to just kind of like I felt it's hard to explain the feeling I felt, but it was literally in my mind every day. Like I felt like I want to explode, like I was trapped in a confined space and I needed to just get out of it and whatever it took it was and I all I knew is if I can book a plane ticket I can do it if I can just go online and book it then I it can happen and that was kind of what I would tell myself one step at a time and just let it unfold yeah and once okay so now you're in Vietnam Mm -hmm. how long did you spend in each of these individual places in Viet, like well, in each you, country. you started in New Zealand. Yeah, so I was in New Zealand for a few months, okay. and then I went to Australia for four months, and then I did a month in Vietnam, and then I went for a month in Thailand, and then I did like a month between Singapore and Malaysia. And you ended up getting some school credit for that. Um, for Australia, I did. It mm-hmm. was like it was elective courses. Um, I don't really call it study abroad because. It was a. Com- it wasn't really studying abroad because it was such. You know, fifty percent is passing in Australia, so you needed a fifty percent in your classes to get a credit. The grades don't transfer over, and for there's only two assignments, and mm-hmm. I got a hundred on the first <laughs> assignment. So, having an experience outside of the norm, yeah, for college students, it's Definitely. going to a different place that you would never be able to go to, yeah. in, unless you have that opportunity. Definitely, yeah, it has nothing to do with the college right, courses. Right. You learn so much more by just traveling right. and and. Yeah, just experiencing new things than you do. I mean, you learn so much in college, depending on what you're learning. But, you know, you're sitting down and you're memorizing things. It's a completely different kind of learning. It's how to interact with the world, which in some ways is is almost more important, in my opinion. Yeah. When you went to Vietnam and to New Zealand and all these other places, did you find fruit that you'd never heard about again? I did. It was a lot harder because I had already seen so I realize now like I was on a farm with some like a very biodiverse farm with so many different fruit species, but that made it more exciting to find fruits that I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. And um, 
yeah, it was so exciting to be able to, especially in Asia, there's fruits markets all down the streets, like everyone's selling fruit. So I would get fruits like that here cost like $12 for a little piece and buy like 20 of them and go sit on the beach and just eat fruit all day long when you went to these other countries did was it the same setup as it was on the big island where you were sort of living and and working a farm some of them yeah so certain countries it was where i was doing like a work trade situation and other places it was just traveling okay and that's because some countries just don't offer those kinds of experiences and you can kind of seek it out in a shorter term basis rather than because the cost of living is so cheap, you can stay in a hostel for 99 cents a night. So Oof. it's why would you work seven hours a day for right. a place to live when you could go visit and hang out for, you know, like for a week on a certain farm and then yeah. move on to the next one. So on a typical day, say you're working a farm, mm-hmm. what would be, and it's, I know it's probably different from day to day yeah. and farm to farm. What's kind of a typical thing that mm-hmm. someone could expect if, who was doing that type of thing? Yeah, it's different for any, like different kinds of farm. Tree farming is so different than vegetable farming, but um, harvesting is a big part of it. Harvesting fruit from trees or harvesting, you know, lettuce from the ground. And a lot of it's weeding and amending soil. Of your travels, was there a place that you go that was so amazing? Or are you here? Did you yeah. come back to it? <laughs> yeah, that's what why I kept traveling. I remember being on the Big Island this person was coming to do a work trade she was like 35 years old and I was telling her I'm like this place is so amazing and she goes you don't know what amazing is and I'm like it feels like home and she's like you don't know what home is you're just a kid Uh, and I was 18 years old and I'm like well maybe it like shot me I was like that's not true this feels like like I've never felt this sense of home before and but it made me, I was like, well, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Like, I have to think about this. Maybe it is just because it's my first time right. leaving home. It's my first experience. It's that first freeing feeling of just being out of my, you know, out of my, like, where I'm from. And I thought, okay, well, t- in order to know if this feels like home, I need to experience other places. And I kept trying to find a place that felt like home. And places felt slightly like home, and they felt, you know, great to be in and I I enjoyed you know places and like there's so many places I'd love to go back to and visit but nothing felt like it did when I was in Hawaii mm-hmm. and I knew that and I was scared to come back because I thought if I came back here then I would stop experiencing the world that I would stop traveling that mm-hmm. I would get stuck and I kept saying get stuck was like my main word I don't want to get stuck I want to see there's so many places I want to see and so when I graduated college, I decided to do three months here. On Kauai. on Kauai? Yeah. Okay. So two days after I graduated, I came <laughs> here. Your parents are like, she's never home I and I miss her. <laughs> I know. And I was like, do I have to go to the graduation ceremony? Because then I can leave a week earlier, oh. you know? And um, I came right out here. I worked on a vegetable lettuce farm oh. in Molawa'a, which is right next door to the farm that I'm on now. Oh. And I... Loved it, but it's also hard being back. Like, Kauai kind of throws a lot of things at you. I don't know if you've experienced that, but a lot of people kind of say it's like an initiation. So when you come to Kauai, it kind of brings up, like, a lot of emotions and hard feelings. And it's kind of puts you in that situation. You need to work through this or you can leave. And you kind of see it with people who come in. They either come and they stay forever or they come and they're thrown out. And it everyone I've met that comes here they're like they're trying to start like it brings up all these emotions that they've never really experienced before and it was kind of a, one of those things and it, it a lot of it was for me was am I how do I like want to move throughout this world and where do I want to what do I how do I want to ha- like achieve this and I finally like I f- talked the whole time in my three months like oh I can't get stuck here I can't get stuck here and it was like that whole mindset was I can't stay here forever I can't stay here forever and so but I thought oh I can stay three more months six months will be my maximum right and I booked a plane ticket to leave because I knew I had to book just book the plane ticket to go and I booked it and before I left I'm like I can't leave and I booked a plane ticket back from where I was going. So I thought, I'll just go there for a couple months and then I'll come back. And I went to Costa Rica, which is another place I spent a lot of time on an animal sanctuary out there. And I promised to run it while these people were out of town. 
So I went and did that and then I came right back and I'm so grateful that it worked out like that because then the pandemic hit and I can't imagine what life would have been like if I was traveling. I would have had to have gone back to North Carolina. I wouldn't have a place here in Kauai and I would have felt it would have felt like I did the first time, like trying to leave. It was like, I would have felt that feeling of being extremely stuck. And mm-hmm. here I felt extremely free because it felt like this home. And I, I hate to say it, but it's just never felt like home for me where I'm from, which is a lot of people feel like, what does home mean to you? Right. And for me, it's like community, like-minded right. people. And for that just didn't support me in that way. Mm-hmm. And that feeling of home here it was like I'm so grateful I didn't leave it and Mm -hmm. then throughout the pandemic it kind of cemented what I wanted and that more permanence because life was so impermanent nothing we didn't know what was going to happen and it kind of it really kind of morphed me into understanding that you know that permanence is okay like I don't have to keep moving I can settle down and now I'm extremely settled down. (laughs) I love my job and I can't imagine doing anything different. And I'm here for life. Like I don't plan on leaving. And now the thought of actually like going on a vacation or leaving the island makes me feel as if like a sink in my heart. Like I wouldn't want to leave if I had the opportunity to. I love that you've, the the word stuck has evolved into Mm -hmm permanence yeah it's essentially the same word but it's just approached differently and Mm -hmm. you're not stuck you just found a a love for something that you don't want to leave exactly I love that I was kind of reflecting on this recently but a large part of it was just kind of deepening in my spirituality in a way so as soon as I was kind of it felt like this I don't know, like this magical world that I was coming into and around me, there was not anyone in that world. And it was hard for me to express that. And I think just, I felt this need to like, I might felt this clarity of mind that I didn't know how to express in that situation. And then I went to the perfect place to find that I was in like spiritual community. I was with people who, had like supported the same ideas that I did and I had never experienced that where I was from and so it just kind of yeah I don't know like what it was I think it was that feeling too of like not fitting in wanting to run away in a way and wanting to find community and I was so lucky I found it in the first try and that's (laughs) what I think made me (laughs) keep traveling but it was there like it was in the background all along I didn't find that so much when I was traveling but yeah the feeling of just not not fitting in and trying to find those like-minded people and I don't think I knew that at the time but it was just uh it was almost an escape and I look back like a lot of people say when you're traveling you're running from something and I heard that the whole time I was traveling oh you're running from something and I would get so angry I'm like I'm not running from anything I'm you know it's this exploration but I definitely was running from like for me not saying for everyone I was running from something I was running from myself in a way I couldn't yeah I just was I was running where I was from I wasn't I was trying to find my happiness in others rather than in myself it's interesting though that you um, did, that you didn't, you didn't realize what you were searching for, but then when you found it, yeah. you're like, that's, there it is. People totally. do that for a lifetime mm-hmm. and never exactly. realize it. That's yeah. what I was going to say. And I, I love, I, I've heard that when people are adventurous, a lot of people don't like it mm-hmm. because it doesn't fit into what their yeah. norm is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she's just a free spirit and, or mm-hmm. she's, she's wandering, she's lost. She doesn't know. Could it be that you weren't running from something, but you were running towards something, but you didn't know what it was? Yeah, I like that. For me, it's it's hard to explain. So it's just the I. For me, it's like to know that we're there's spirit. Um, we're guided by spirit. It's such a hard question to like fabricate because spirituality is so complex, and there's so many different parts of my spirituality. But to find people who weren't in who are in a different mindset, who are seeing like action, like, you know, 
the things you think, the actions you take create what happens in the world and that there's more than just this this life and it, I don't know it, it's hard I, I can't explain it but it was just being aligned with people who were thinking out of the box and they weren't just like I grew up with a, my father was an atheist and my mom had terrible experience in religion so it was kind of like I wasn't mm. I didn't grow up going to church I didn't grow up having any of those experiences but I always had you know just a different different taste of what yeah, just kind of it's starting to realize that everything's connected and that yes. we're all part of this greater whole and that we're all like brothers and sisters. And that was kind of the what I I loved was just that idea to love everybody and mm-hmm. to just accept and yeah, just realize that there's something something greater without defining it. That's the thing. It's spirituality is almost impossible to define, and mm-hmm. it's also very personal. So it's, I'm not surprised that y- you know you sort of s- struggle a little bit to to mm-hmm. explain a definition because there, it's in your mind and in your yeah. in your heart. And then and that's I I completely get that. I truly believe that people, like you said, what you put out is what you get back. And yeah. in today's society, right now specifically. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing yeah. if everyone just said for one day, I'm just going to give the most positive, I'm going to be the most positive person and I'm going to trust people and I'm going to do good for others mm-hmm. and the world would change. Yeah, I, I love that. And that's kind of exactly, I was around people who are putting out and they're actually acting on, you know, in the way that they wanted the world to be. Everyone was giving what they you know like they were treating others how they wanted to be treated it was that actual like action of Mm -hmm. of like living in spirit and I found that when I was in home I was around like I grew up in North Carolina it's the bible belt and I craved spirituality I'd go to church with my friends because it was like oh here's an opportunity and I found that the people like I would be told these things that I didn't like that I wasn't, you know, baptized, like I wasn't going to heaven. And then I saw people who were in church who were terrible, like they were drinking and doing drugs. (laughs) And it was so (laughs) counterintuitive for me. And I was only around hypocrites, not saying like everyone in religion's like that. And I think religion is beautiful in so many ways, but it was what I was exposed to that I found like, I can't find like spirituality in the, sometimes you can't find spirituality in religion. And I finally found spirituality. It happened to not be in religion, but it was just what I was seeking, I, I right. found. When you first, when you very first came to Kauai, your first experience was on a lettuce farm, mm-hmm. but now you, you're working, as you said, on the pineapple farm. Yeah. How did you get involved in that? So the first like week I arrived in Kauai, we have this community center where all the people who are working on this farm would share meals, and there's a kitchen and a place to sit and eat. And I found a little tag um, and it said, hi, I'm a Kauai Sugarloaf Pineapple. And it's the exact tag that we put on our fruit now. It's super cute. We, yeah. We'll post a picture of it. It's mm-hmm. really adorable. Yeah. So I saw that and I'm like, wow, there's Sugarloaf Pineapple on this island because I'd only experienced some big island, never heard of it anywhere else in the world. And I was like, man, I would love to work on that farm. It was kind of, and I wrote it in my journal. I was like, my dream is to work on the Kauai Sugarloaf Pineapple farm. And I had saw that and so it's been in the back of my mind and as I was here I was like I need to save this money to travel again so I went and I got a job while I was working my other farm job so we kind of like for an idea it was three days a week we'd wake up at six and work till 11 it was five hours a day so 15 hours a week plus an extra like three to four hour task that was on our own so it's around 18 hours a week of farm work and it was pretty pretty hard work you're you know crouching down like I was harvesting lettuce all day like scooping mulch into wheelbarrows unloading it for five hours it's you know in the hot sun it's a lot of physical work but I found a job at a chocolate cacao type farm Mm, now Um, we're talking yeah (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't the best experience but it was a great like the most I'd ever felt like supported financially by a job Mm because in North Carolina the minimum wage is seven dollars an hour so it's just just such a difference in pay so I kind of was like wow I could really settle here and I can save money and this is going to be great for future travels because everything in my life was saving money for future travels is always for the future it was never for the now and 
in college, I'd only spend $25 a week on everything I needed. So if I couldn't get groceries for $25 a week, it was, that was, that was it. That was it. Yeah. And when I first got here my first month, I only spent $60 the first month I lived here. I was only eating from the land and I would buy like rice and coconut oil were the mm -hmm. only other two foods that I would eat. But I got this job and I realized like I could stay here longer and then I was in this job and I saw the Kwai Sugarloaf pineapple job appear on Craigslist. Mm. Oh. Yeah. They were asked they were looking they for were workers. They were looking for workers. Okay. And so I reached out and it I worked all three jobs. So I was working like sixty or seventy hours a week. Wow. And I was doing farm work. And so it was a lot of you know, a lot of work. But I ended up dropping the chocolate job and I slowly started giving more and more to the pineapple mm -hmm. job and I just kind of fell in love with it in mm -hmm. a way like it was one of those things where it's not I'm oh I have to go to work today it was like I get to go to work today like mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that I get to go to this job where like I truly just enjoy every every aspect of it what does work on a pineapple farm entail yeah well, it's, it's different you know <laughs> different for different seasons but like this summer, like we're harvesting on a harvest day, sometimes like up to four or 5,000 pounds of fruit, washing, stickering, tagging, packing, loading into coolers, sorting, grading. It's, it's a lot of work. And then on top of that, taking care of the fields, we make, you know, different products. We dry pineapple, we go to market. Yeah. Um, we have an online shipping business. So managing that. And I'm kind of in every single facet of the farm. So I'm not just doing one task I'm doing a little bit of everything do you think your degree that you were so stuck on whether I should get it or not has helped you in this I think not necessarily what I learned in the degree but the thought processes that I had to go through engineering is so kind of cutthroat mm -hmm. you have to think outside the box mm -hmm. and I was forced to do that and it was a hard like I chose the hardest degree not to use it was like couldn't <laughs> I have done anything else <laughs> but of course you. I chose engineering and so I, I'm so grateful for it I'm grateful I knew like when I realized that it was something I had to finish I knew it was all part of a greater purpose and I just completely surrendered that this is for a greater purpose no matter how hard it seems in the moment yeah. I have to finish it because there's greater things on the other side of it right that's such a mature outlook it is I mean literally adults who are 60 don't have that outlook where mm -hmm. it is like I'm just going to grind this through I'm going to make this happen because it's going to do something for me later. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. I'm putting yeah. faith in the universe, yeah. putting faith in myself, and I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I commend you for that because a lot of people would have just said, eh, I don't need it. Yeah. yeah. Everyone there is like, why are you here? Because, you know, it's we'd go around and talk about our summer internships. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go live in a tent in Hawaii. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just the complete opposite of what everyone else All is these doing. engineers and are like, what like, is going I'm, on here? You know, interning for John Deere. And it was just the complete, you know, just a complete opposite of what everyone else <laughs> I love it else's though. visions were but yeah it was a complete faith and surrender and it has helped it's people you know as much as it's kind of sucks people take you more seriously exactly with a legitimizes you a bit totally and I think that the Paul and Jude who are the owners of the pineapple farm they kind of respected me because they knew that I was just the um, ability to finish something like that is obviously challenging so yeah. just the perseverance and yeah, just knowing that I'm capable of doing something like that, I think made them take me a little bit more seriously. Yeah, I think that's probably most people. And you're so young. I'm 25. You you're so young. It's it's amazing the things that you've accomplished. Mm -hmm. So you're over there working that pineapple farm. There's other employees, correct? Yeah, so when I got there, there was one other employee named Jake, and so it was me and Jake. <laughs> you and, and Jake. <laughs> and then we hired one more person, they quit after oh. like a year, and then it was Jake and I for, you know, it was just two of us for a long time. And there's other worker, like a few part-time workers that come in like twice a week for six hours or something like that. But we don't really, like, we're the only two full-time workers who are there all the time, kind of making everything else happen. How many acres are there over there? 13 acres. And then how many, you, how many thousands of pounds did you say? Um, you know, it changes throughout the seasons. We're harvesting probably like 4,000 pound days, but you know, we have 250,000 plants, pineapple Th plants. That's what I was going to ask. Wait, so I, I don't, I'm no math major, but 250 mm -hmm. Thousand, thousand plants. Yeah. Is it 
all at one time or is it like yeah, staged? Yeah, they're staged. So it takes 18 to 24 months for okay. a pineapple to That's grow from a plant question. to a fruit. So you plant, you can either plant the top and then there's two other types of propagation material that grow out of the side of a pineapple plant. But you mostly would plant it by tops or suckers, which come out of the base. After a pineapple is fruited, there's a sucker that comes out of the base of the plant to produce a new fruit. And so you remove those suckers and you plant them in new fields. So you let it fruit once, you take out the entire field and you start over. So every pineapple you eat takes almost two years to become a fruit. No wonder they're kind of expensive. Yeah. yeah. So the, a pineapple plant, is it, it's, on the, it's on the ground. Yeah. And then the pineapple... It comes out like of a stem from the center of the plant. And then that whole plant is done once it's fruited a single pineapple per plant? Yes. Only one? Only one. It creates what is called a sucker that comes out of the side of the plant, which will produce another fruit, but it's not the same plant. So you have another plant coming out, and you can't just leave that plant there because that sucker is growing sideways so it's not going to stand up straight and when you have a suck it's just going to fall the plant's kind of kind of fall over and the fruit's going to burn like it'll be exposed to the sun when it's standing straight up it doesn't have like as leaves protecting it from the sun around it and it's not exposed laying out so you want to remove the suckers and start to plant new fields from those Oh my goodness, it's so much more complex than I think you could have ever imagined. Mm-hmm. What about the dirt? Kauai is infamous for its red dirt. Yeah. It's no joke, and I'm I against can't get it. it. Off my feet at <laughs> all, <laughs> ever. Yeah. It doesn't come out of <laughs> <No>. anything. <laughs> um, what? How do you continue to make the soil um, rich enough to bear fruit time and time again? Yeah, you want to. You- do cover crops so we do sun hemp on our fields which is a nitrogen oh. fixer so it turns atmospheric nitrogen into nitrogen that can be taken up by plants this is why she's an engineer no major. kidding so when the when the am i understanding this correctly when you don't have pineapples growing in a certain area yeah. you're covering it with that hemp yeah you want to cover crop it also removes like you know insects like different things that are attacking the plants like mites in the soil all sorts of different things from it's kind of clearing it out. It's not, so you're growing the, when you're growing the same crop over and over again, mm-hmm. the same pests are going to persist. But mm-hmm. once you put something new down that they don't really like or, you know, don't want, it kind of clears them out. So it's a good for that. And then you have, um, you can cover crop and then we put mulch down, put compost back into our soil. So we have compost laid down in every single row. So we're putting organic material back into the soil every time that we replant a field. Does that farm create its own compost? We do not, no. You don't, okay. No. That is a, I had a moment where I was like, I'm gonna start composting. Yeah. And then you realize how truly complex and complicated yeah, it is. Yeah, you would need a lot, like the amount of compost we need, we couldn't, we wouldn't have enough organic material to make the amount of compost that we need. But other people composting gives us that organic material on islands. So mm-hmm. it comes from just right next door. It oh, does. it does? Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, that's, that's cool. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. What is next, what's the crop next door? Well, it's not the crop. It's just a composting facility. So people drop off green waste. It's like a green waste processing. So people come drop off anything like from their yards, scraps, anything, and they just unload it. And then they do compost. They compost it all and sell it to farm. What do do your parents do for a living? How how were you raised? Mm -hmm. My mom is a seamstress. So she works for designers. She does like custom draperies, window treatments like slip covers, like all of that kind of thing. So she'll go through an entire house and anything made of fabric she'll make. So, wow. And then my dad is a home inspector, ex-contractor. What do they think of the way you're living um, right now? They support it because they know that I'm happy. Um, Yeah, they've been great with that. Do they say to you, when are you going to get a real job type thing? No. Um, Yeah, (laughs) they very much support what I do. They know that it's like in makes me happy in that it, it's you know it's actually a very well-paying job it there's so much room for growth the owners Paul and Jude are yeah. are old like they're both 70 years old and they're looking to step back in the business and they're they don't have any children so they want someone to kind of continue it one wow for them manage it and see what happens from they're there. in their 70s mm-hmm. they both well 70 and 69 I think. so they're wow. working the land and they're doing this hard work at that age what's also interesting about the folks who own the, the farm that you're working is that they they want to step back a little bit they're getting a little bit older they could very easily turn around and sell it to dole 
and get yeah. a lot of money for it. Yeah, they could easily sell it to anyone. They could step back, but they're at the point where they've kind of created this dream. It mm-hmm. was a dream for them. It was starting off with a little bit of plant material and turning it into 250,000 plants. And the kind of following that we have is people will... Like, I've had people cry at the farmer's market when we run out of pineapple, like, break down in tears. People travel here just to try this pineapple because it's so different. It's it's unbelievable how many people are just connected through this fruit. And it's kind of their dream that they created and they spread and they want to keep it going when they could easily just sell everything. Yes. And and move out. Are the islands, the Hawaiian islands, the only place where sugar loaf is, is grown? Pretty much. I mean, we're the largest grower of it, so there's no one really doing a large-scale operation. Large-scale for us is 13 acres. We're the largest commercial grower. People grow it in their backyards here. Yeah. I have heard someone tried it in Africa. Mm-hmm. So I think northern Africa, there's some people with plant material. But you have to think one top grows one fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. And then you have a couple suckers that come off the side, maybe one, maybe two. So it's like... If you do the math, the amount, like you're waiting two years to grow one more pineapple or maybe three more pineapples. It's a low, low yield, low yield. So you really have to know how to basically like stock up on plant material, which is something that Paul and Jude figured out, which is pretty impressive. But what they, they kind of, they had this fruit, they were growing it large scale with another person on the island, a business partner and the partnership fell through. And they didn't have any contracts or anything. They lost rights to the land. Mm. And all the plant material just decayed and rotted. They didn't have the opportunity to grab it. But they loved the fruit so much that they wanted to, they loved it. Like they wanted to eat it. So they were going to grow it for themselves. So they got a few tops. And from there, they were like, everyone was like, do you have any white pineapple? Do you have any white pineapple? Mm -hmm. And so they kind of started growing more and more. They started tearing out parts of their you know they had mangoes and different fruits they started tearing out and putting in more pineapple fields and it slowly kind of grew and grew and they were in a stress like we need plant material like it'll take us like a hundred years to get enough to even plant a part of this farm if we're moving at this rate and they were they're kind of the people who stay up late night reading research articles online and they found this research article published in India that had um, it showed like it was talking about plant propagation so pineapples are apically dominant plants so they produce Mm. when they're have uh like a stress they're going to produce more plants through their um it's like through the bottom root system so if you rip out the middle of the plant it'll create a stress response and it's going to create suckers it's going to create like around three suckers if you break out the middle and you plant it so they found that if you cut it into sections it'll produce more so if you cut it completely down the middle of the top of the pineapple break out the middle each side will grow three suckers and then if oh. you cut it into fours each fourth will go three suckers and i think they were able to get it into sixes so they could get one plant wow. to create 18 um 18 you know future plants yeah. so that's how they expanded their farm and they just kept kept working on it from that that's amazing yeah. that they just like just through research asking people who know better or who have yeah. known longer what did they do in their previous lives they were um Jude was a painter and Paul was a contractor, but they were both farming the same land that they were living mm-hmm. on. So it's a very complicated mm-hmm. story, but yeah, they were just kind of passionate about farming. About farming, yeah. I, I just find it so fascinating. <laughs> it's I crazy. Mean, I love it. It's the only place you can get it is here. I know. Basically yeah. is here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is unreal. I've been to the farmer's market where Sarah, you know, is repping that booth and there's a line. You can see it as you're coming into the farmer's market. There's one booth that has a very long line. It's Sarah's booth (laughs) and she has little samples, like a little sample cup. And there was a little boy the last time (laughs) I was there who was standing in front of that cup with his toothpick and he'd eat one and then he'd take a pick while he's chewing and he'd turn around and go, you got to try this. He was just a little tiny kid and he was just like handing them out. I'm like, is this an employee? No, he was just a lover of the pineapple. But it was like candy. It was like (laughs) someone had just given him a shot of caffeine and sugar and he was like all about it. And that's people, when you said someone cried when when it was, I get it. I don't love fruit. But I'm telling you, if my mind is set on one of those sugar loaves and it's yeah. not there, I would probably weep. Yeah, and we're talking like 25 
dollars a pineapple is yeah. an average price people don't they look at it and they're like $25 a pineapple they try it and they're like say give me five of them yeah. it right. has an right. insane uh, like uh, quality about it, it, it where it's like it crack can, yeah it's like, it's like the crack of the fruit truly world, right? like I feel like it, it's like inducing like some brain response where it it's is. like you want more of it and I've never experienced that with any other fruit no we should do some neither. research on that we should I <laughs> bet you if you dipped it in chocolate there could even be a better <laughs> situation here it's, it's true it's like you know I it mean, can't get better it's it can't not get possible better. I don't know I, I mean it's pretty unreal uh-huh. it's, pretty unreal. it's so amazing so you live on this property Actually, so I don't live on the pineapple oh. farm. I still live on the lettuce farm that I came here oh. on. And I worked on the pineapple farm with this other job for a year. And then I quit the farm I was living on. The lettuce I, farm. Yeah, I quit the lettuce farm and I ended up staying on it as a renter. Because the pandemic kind of disrupted the farming community. We were selling mostly to large restaurants. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And we were selling lettuce to restaurants. And there was no restaurants open. So we had no one to sell to. So Mm. that farm pretty much shut down and I became a renter and I rented a little spot on the farm. And that's where I've been the whole entire time I've lived here. And you live there now and and explain where you live and what, do you live in a house on the farm? (laughs) I don't live on a house. You can call it a house. Um, I call it a house, but it's a Costco carport. Oh, a a Costco Costco carport. (laughs) No, that's different than like. A tent. a tent because yeah. a tent you're like oh I have to bend down and yeah. then just get into my bed totally when I got there I was living in a two-person tent for the first year and then from there on I got this space it's basically a deck platform and it's oh. a Costco carport Perfect. on top of it so it's like a canvas tent and I have a kitchen I have power oh. it's you know it's rustic but it's nice and I, I love it like I truly wouldn't do you have running water I have running water oh, yeah good for you mm-hmm do you have hot running water in there? Not in my house, but I do in my shower. Perfect. So you can, yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, how, how's it fueled? How uh, does it get hot? It's, it's a propane shower. So it's like, a, you just hook it up to a propane tank and put the water through this system and it just heats it up. And you sleep on the floor? I have a bed. Okay. Oh, yeah. And it's really, it's, it's like outfitted. Yeah. It's a whole. Yeah, yeah, it's like a little studio. People are surprised. I've really turned it into something special, especially from what it was before I got there. When it rains, how how do you survive in that? Is it, it okay? Yeah. the Because it rains a lot here. I know. And, you know, luckily this past winter hasn't been too rainy. The biggest thing is when it rains, it everything wants to come up for air. So all the bugs and stuff come out of the ground and <laughs> crawl up into my house. So. <laughs> I had a, a centipede incident oh, no. once where oh. there was, you know, when it rains a long time, they like to go up for air. They don't like to be wet. So that's hard in the winter. So you had to share your room with a centipede? More than one. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't just a single centipede? Oh. No, no. It was like an infestation. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and they bite or pinch. Yeah, they, they do. They have something happening. Yeah, it's they awful. they bite you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's been like, you know, one of the challenges that has been one of the hardest is that and then just having a wet floor um, when you walk around in yeah. the winter because mm-hmm. the water does kind of come in on the planks and it it's like walking in puddles but I don't keep anything on my floor and I have very minimal things so That's it's good. not an issue. <laughs> Are there other renters on that property? Yeah, so mo- it's all renters oh. now, and all my friends are friends that I came here and lived on the farm. They ended up renting to after oh. everything shut down. So my best friend lives next door Aww. in, like, a bigger, nicer carport. <laughs> <laughs> bigger, nicer carport. <laughs> it's closed in. It's done really well. But I kind of – I put a lot of work into my home to make it what it was, and it's – now that I have a new home on the way, I've Let's talk about your new home on the way because we love this idea. Yeah, so I have a tiny house being built on the big island. And it's a pre it's prefab, but you get to choose sort of a layout or a I type. Cho- yeah, I choose every single aspect of it. So I gave them a basically an idea, like a picture, and from there we went and designed it all through like a design software and wow. choose all the appliances, all the the complete layout. Oh. How big will it be? It'll be the base of it will be twenty four feet long and then it'll be a four foot and a two foot extension in each loft on each side. So it's total like thirty feet but twenty four feet base. Okay. Did, what square footage do you have? Do they tell you? 
Um, it's hard to say. They didn't say. Because you have a loft and you have a Yeah, it's kind of hard. With the lofts, it counts as square feet. So I'm not sure exactly how sure. much it comes out to. But it's still bigger than the house. It's still I'm bigger than now. what you're yeah. in now. Are mm-hmm. you going to put it on the same land? Where does it no. go? So my family, my parents are purchasing the front five acres of the pineapple farm. Oh. Which is not pineapple. It's rambutan, which is a, do you know what rambutan no, is? No, what's rambutan? It's a tree fruit, like a lychee. Oh, but it's it, in that family. It's in that same family, but it has a spiky, it's spiky and red. We've and the seen inside it the is the inside's kind of a grape. Yeah, it's like a grape okay. on the inside. So they're smaller. Yeah, they're yeah. small. And so it's five <laughs> acres of rambutan trees, and my family is there. It's an escrow, so it's happening. <gasps> and yeah. that's exciting. No, it's a dream come true because what I wrote in my journal when I left Big Island was my biggest dream in life is to have my own tropical fruit farm, and mm. then it's like coming full circle. So it feels like dreams are are coming true (laughs) that's so amazing that your parents are being that's support that's so supportive are they going to have a tiny home there as well yes they're going to build the exact replica of the tiny home i'm getting and they're going to put on the land too and then they're going to visit a couple months out of the year sure oh that's so great i love that what um will you entirely clear the rambutan or just kind of cut areas i'll probably you know my vision keeps changing so much when I think about it because it's like a a blank canvas and it's so exciting to think of all the different fruit trees to put on the land yeah but I think for now it'll be rambutan I'll slowly start removing a few sections and planting other fruit trees and I don't know to the extent I will remove the rambutan but I definitely will remove some for the tropical like the diversity and once I have a diversity that I like I would um probably stop cutting rambutan because rambutan's a pretty rare exotic fruit and it's really hard to grow is it It, yeah from you know you growing it from start it's like it's such a difficult plant it doesn't like wind it doesn't you know for them to plant those they were explaining it they had to put wind barriers around every single tree and then it was they're still trying like dying and so they had to put roofs on them in order for them to survive so whoa to hear the amount of struggle it took to you know get these fruit tree store they were it feels wrong to no. <laughs> to wipe them all Disrespectful. out but yeah. yeah yeah i would like to grow breadfruit and mm-hmm. cacao though for sure and what do you <coughs> what do you make of that whole movement the sustainable food movement and being sort of responsible for yourself based on what you can mm-hmm. grow or acquire yeah i think we kind of live in a place where it's easier in a way to make that possible because we have a year-round growing season so for us it's like we really should be we have the opportunity to grow everything that we need on this island I mean there's certain things that you know like foods that we're not you know everything's imported and exported and certain things grow better in certain regions but we could grow so much of our food here if everyone just put a fruit tree in their yard or And most people do, and that's really cool. Like, there's, you know, avocado trees behind the library. Like, there's, you know, there's so many different places where you can find Mm -hmm. fruit or just, like, hiking out to, like, Hanakapiai on the North Shore. Like, there's avocado, mango trees, like, Mm -hmm. mountain apple. There's everything, like, that you could want along that trail in terms of fruit trees. So. So it's all doable. Fruit, lemons, limes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, the amount of citrus on this island. No one should ever have scurvy <laughs> again, you know? <laughs> the limes here are something special, mm-hmm. too. I don't know what it is, but every time I get here, I have to, like, squeeze some limes <laughs> in my water because it is, That's like, amazing. so good. Yeah. <laughs> something different about this place. Mm-hmm. It's just pretty amazing yeah. and magical. So the tiny house, let's get back to the tiny home. Is it a... Um, it's a specific company that deals just that's mm-hmm. their expertise is yeah. the tiny home did you go looking for that or how did that how did you kind of come up with that idea yeah there's a lot of things i was looking for i did want it to be done on the islands because i would like to support a local business and not have it shipped off from like a mass distributor on the main on the mainland but also, it's like building for what Hawaii needs. It's like we don't need like weight bearing roofs for, you know, snow. There's so much that would have been extra. We don't need air conditioning. Um, well, I don't need air conditioning. Don't. <laughs> I haven't had air conditioning. We do, but you yeah, know. I, you know, 
certain things that were just like to me like too you know extra that I needed and I felt like Hawaii Builder would have been the best option and on the island there are a few it's there's no significant businesses that you can just find googling it but you can hear word of mouth about different tiny house builders but what made me stick with this one was their ability to finance they have mm-hmm. um, their work with the bank so that you can you know you can get a loan on it it's built to code it's um it just seemed like a really like it resonated with me the company yeah. and the people were really kind and yeah they what they were building was very similar to what I wanted yeah and it, that's something to have the package complete like you don't mm-hmm. have to worry about permitting you know it's yeah. all up to code totally that's and a problem yeah it's you know tiny houses are tiny but they're not cheap it's no. like $150,000 for a tiny house. Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, I was wondering. And, and wow. to have $150,000 in cash at 25 years old is a kind of a big, um, a big ask. So yeah, it was perfect to be able to find a place that was willing to, you know, take 20% down and then finance the rest. That's so cool. Yeah. Before you leave, we always ask our guests to give us a takeaway gift, a tag, something that we can remember you by. Do you have anything for us today? Yeah. A motto that I live by and that has been an um, integral part of my journey. Love all, serve all, remember God. I love it. That's amazing. That's a mm-hmm. good one. Thank you, one. Sarah, Sarah Pineapple, for joining us today. We're so glad to have you on and get to talk to you about the coolest subject. Nothing better. I yeah. love it. So we appreciate you coming down here and talking to us. In the meantime, we're Two Average Girls. I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We'll see you next time. Two average girls